You've seen the best. You've seen the worst. Now here's the rest of both worlds. I'm Gayfesh. If I had words to make a day for you. And I'm Ari. And I'd give you a morning, golden and new. I'm not going to sing. <laughs> and today we'll be discussing the Star Trek The Next Generation episodes, The Hunted and The High Ground. But first, you made a bit of an impulsive purchase uh, a couple weeks ago, and it should be arriving next month. Uh, there was, I saw that Star Trek was doing an officially licensed tridimensional set, mm-hmm. uh, tridimensional chess set. And I just sent you the link because I know on a previous podcast you mentioned, oh, I might want to try and play that. And like, there was, and there was a point when I we were googling, remember? Because I was like, well, yeah. I want like an like, like I want an official 3D chess, not something some nerd made in his basement, which is probably actually better than official. But I wanted <laughs> it to be official, you know? Right. And I sent it to you, and like 20 minutes later, you sent me a screenshot of order confirmation, and I was just like, I just sent you the link. It's like, oh, here, something to bookmark. <laughs> no, I was like, and it was a pre-order, um, and I was like, oh, no, we need to learn to play this. This is where I'm at in my Star Trek experience. I, I snap purchased the 3D chess set, the original series one. I th- It was like, it has like Spock and Kirk on it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very excited. And, and just to give the viewers, like, or the listeners, an idea that, of what kind of an uh, impulse buy this is. It's $175. It was not cheap. <laughs> no, it happened to be when I had some extra money in the bank. And I was like, what the heck? We're going to learn to play 3D chess. I'm really bad at regular chess. So maybe I'll be a genius at 3D chess. Who knows? I, I, I don't think that that's how that works. I think uh, if you're bad at regular chess, you're probably going to be worse at this. I looked Someone up the rules. Someone told me when I was like nine, that you just sacrifice all your pawns and then at the end I die because I don't have anything to block my guys that are important. So that's how I've played chess for 42 years of my life. (laughs) Yes. So the rules, ostensibly all of the pieces have the normal move rules, but they can also like move uh, up or down one platform. Do they have to be at the edge? I guess we'll find that out when we go to play. They have to be like, (laughs) uh, because there's like two parts where the squares overlap top and bottom Mm -hmm. and so like you can move between one of those as you're moving your piece and i don't think the vertical movement counts as part of the move it's just like if you move diagonal uh and your diagonal movement would could be on the next platform as well you can move down you can move down yeah and then also there's the um the two by two uh um square things at either end and apparently those are like movable tiles like if you have if there's only one piece that's yours on one of those things you can actually move it from like the back of a board to the front of a board so there's some movement there as well and i just it like in clue when you can go between the kitchen and the library or whatever (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's uh, that right there is going to be the one that that messes me up the most i think but um we once you get it, we're definitely going to play it and we're going to try to like film it, and maybe yeah. like put that up as like a bonus video, us trying to figure out tridimensional chess. Because I think it's going to be hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm really excited. I think it's going to be really fun. And, you know, the next thing you're, is that's going to happen in my life is I'm going to message you and be like, look, I bought this thousand dollar replica Star Trek uniform. <laughs> this is where I'm at in my life. <laughs> I think the most I have ever spent on a Star Trek cosplay was like 
Well, I, I've got um, Picard's suede uh, jacket that he gets in season five, and that was an official uh, Star Trek replica. And then I paid a customer friend about the same amount of money, like 250 bucks, to make me a um, Star Trek Enterprise uh, jumpsuit. And that jumpsuit was really well made, too, for that price. So that's a pretty good yeah. price. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, it's really good. Uh, it doesn't fit anymore. I've gotten significantly fatter since I had that. <laughs> but, um it's like that happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, so before we get into the episodes, uh, why don't you hop on over, if you're feeling so generous, to patreon.com slash rest of both worlds. You can uh, get our episodes up to five days early if you are a member. And for the $10 tier, we will read your name at the end of each episode. Uh, nobody's taken that one yet, so you could be the first. You can be the first person. With that. Let's get into the episodes. Today, we're talking about The Hunted, which is the 11th episode of the third season, and it first aired on the 8th of January, 1990. It was written by Robin Bernheim and directed by Cliff Bull. I think an alternate title for this episode could be Star Trek First Blood. Yeah. Because it's it's literally just like Rambo is what, is what the episode is. It could also be uh, Star Trek uh, Serenity because he's very much River Tam as well. Yeah, except that like in 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 Serenity, um, the government was trying to kill her because she had government secrets. Whereas here they're just like imprisoning the soldiers because they're like, well, it's peacetime now and you're too violent for us. This is the will of the people. Yeah, it's the will of the people. The people voted. (laughs) I know. I liked how they tried to bank on that. (laughs) So um, there's a planet that is uh, applying for Federation membership and they're like, oh, everything seems nice. This planet looks idyllic. But then like uh, a prisoner escapes from the Lunar 5 penal colony and... uh, they ask the the Enterprise if they can intercept him. And the reason that they're there is to check and make sure they're ready to join the Federation, correct? Yeah, exactly. Um, and, like, they find out that this guy is, like, insanely good at avoiding them. He, like, uh, takes his ship behind an asteroid and then, like, splits it in two. They can't get him on, uh, they can't get his life signs read. Right. And yeah, the whole it, it turns out after they do manage to capture him in a, a hilarious scene where there's it, like you could have played yakety sacks over it. There's like <laughs> five different security guards like trying to hold him down and he's just tossing them around the room. Like, Is that uh, the oh, name of the Benny Hill song? Yeah, yakety sacks. I knew when you said it what you meant, but I have never <laughs> heard that title before. Uh, there's just a great moment where like O'Brien is just standing there and he like hits the intercom and goes, more security. More security, more security, (laughs) more security, more security, more security. I know I laughed. I have that written down three times in my notes because I thought it was so funny. He even is like, you know, giving Worf a run for his money. But anyway, it turns out like they initially tell them there's like, oh, he's just a criminal. But then they can't find like a criminal record for him. And so they Mm -hmm. find out, oh, no, he's actually uh, a soldier uh, because they had just uh, gone through some wars and like well we're a peaceful people we didn't have soldiers so we had to make them and so they're conditioned and genetically modified so that they're stronger and they could do all sorts of stuff but in peacetime well they didn't know how to deprogram them mm-hmm. and so like it's you know uh veterans coming home from the war with their ptsd getting set off and having violent outbursts sometimes and instead of giving them the help that they need they just ship them off so they're no longer anyone's problem. To a reservation. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then in the end, um, they all try to fight back against the the government or whatnot. 
And Picard basically uses the prime directive against them. <laughs> like, hey, figure out your stuff and we'll, we'll maybe think about letting you back into the Federation or let you back, not back, but into the Federation. I thought that was funny. Yeah, because President James Cromwell, which is why we sang the babe thing at the beginning. Uh, he's just like, oh, come on, Captain, aren't you going to use your ship to do something? He's like, quite right. Enterprise, beam us out of here. Let them have to deal with uh, all the soldiers that have just stormed the capital. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, I love it. We can't interfere. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's right. You can't interfere. So what did you think of this guy? I've called him in my notes everything from Han Solo to Ted Bundy to River Tam. I couldn't decide how I felt about this character. Um, I thought he was a very sympathetic character. I thought he was a very dangerous character. And I, it was this episode has like a ton of action. I mean, you know, it's a pretty simple plot because so much of the episode is just action and him like evading capture. Lots of and action. Even, like they they try to beam him over to a prison transport and he literally like puts his hands out against the beam and manages to like hijack the transport beam and that was really cool. Could he do that cuz he was enhanced or is that something any human being could do? No, I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm pretty sure it's cuz he's enhanced. They <laughs> don't go into detail about what his enhancements are, but there's a lot of them, and I'm guessing one of them is that he can hijack transport signals. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> and they didn't know that either, because they're like, yeah, let's just transport him over. And then all of a sudden, he's like, no, haha, I run the ship now. <laughs> um, What did you... So, there, like, I liked the guy, and I was definitely on yeah. his side. And when oh, we yeah. talked to the, about the next episode, I'm pretty much on the bad guy side too um <laughs> but like the interesting part about this is that from the very beginning i'm on the first page of my notes of like five pages because i write big and fast because i'm watching yeah. a tv show and um i have the note which is just a ridiculous note but it says i'm getting dr chilton vibes from farmer hoggett and that was very <laughs> early on i knew that there was something going on with with farmer hoggett but you know who dr chilton is right yeah, from, yeah, hannibal? Yeah, from hannibal yeah. yeah yeah so for people who don't know he's i mean in the hannibal tv show is who i'm specifically referencing i know chilton has been in a lot of different hannibal type um media but i'm specifically talking about the hannibal tv show and he gave me that like i manipulated the, this situation from I'm the background and I'm the bad guy from about the second he walked onto the stage after I wrote in like four lines big that'll do pig across the top <laughs> of my notes um but you you get that creepiness from him right away and so I didn't know whether to trust my instinct that he was gross or not but then obviously he proves me right and he was gross yeah he's a politician you don't trust politicians especially ones that treat their veterans like that I mean right. th th this whole episode could have just been like hey vietnam veterans should be treated better they were drafted into war and uh given ptsd and then you just dumped them on the street yep that's exactly what this was i mean because it's 1990 and you are a couple years younger than me but i grew up seeing the vietnam vets oh, yeah, that yeah, were yeah, like yeah. super young with their green jackets wandering the streets of seattle homeless no, with nobody taking care kid, of them yeah. okay i couldn't remember like when i stopped seeing as many of those i mean there's still a lot of veterans and america still tr right treats now its it's veterans like and warts exactly it's those two. but yeah it's a it's an issue that uh seemingly just doesn't go away but also this was a rambo episode oh yeah for sure i mean i probably would have thought of that if i had seen rambo in the last 30 years of course rambo <laughs> i mean rambo's about the treatment of or first blood specifically is about the treatment of veterans coming home from the war so oh see when i watched it when i was 10 on channel 11 with all the bad parts cut out and lots of commercials <laughs> i don't know if i caught that 
<laughs> but yeah. Um, I also, I, I thought, especially because the timing, because it was like right at the beginning of 1990, I really thought he looked like Ted Bundy. And there was this like conversation about him being a dangerous criminal and all these kinds of things. But then when he turned out to be sympathetic, I thought that can't possibly be on purpose. They wouldn't have tried to make a Ted Bundy character likable. So it's just kind of a coincidence. I'm trying to remember what Ted Bundy looks like. I'm going to. Oh, he, well, all the women in true crime groups think he's really hot, but to me, yeah, he just yeah, looks yeah. like a white guy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He's he's not unattractive. I'm looking that up. Uh, he's got kind of a no. The pictures that I googled, he's got kind of a a, a kill serial killer eye look to him. But well, I, yeah, I, I can see the appeal. <laughs> well, and he grew up in Tacoma. My one of my friends that I've known for forever. Her grandma lives three doors down from his parents. Oh jeez. And so like this guy has been a part of my life for a long time. So maybe that's just why he's on my head. You know, like in my head when I was watching it. But I was like, man, he's very Bundy looking. You know, mm. like, and so I wondered if that was on purpose. But of course, Ted Bundy just looked like a white guy from the era, too. You know, true. I mean, you know, uh, white people all kind of look the same. Yeah, exactly. Um, we did get a Jordy lost his visor trope. He did. We didn't get to see him searching for it, but he did. No, lose he his just, visor. he's knocked out and his <laughs> visor's on the ground. And I noticed that and I laughed. And then like the next time we see him, he's just got him on. I'm like, wait, nobody else. Like he was like the first person to wake up in engineering after everyone was stunned. So like we missed that where he had to feel around for it. I know. Nobody just say it was implied. It. <laughs> they were too busy giving us 35 minutes of watching that guy run around the ship. I mean, that's yeah, my biggest complaint about this show, about this episode, is that it was fun for a while, and then it's kind of like, okay, yeah, we get it. He's smart, you know. Like, and then in the end, he's outsmarted by Worf, though, <laughs> which is what I wrote in my notes. Apparently, outsmarted by Worf. He was outsmarted by Worf, but then he beats Worf in a fight anyway. He does. Yeah, that's true. And like throws a bunch of empty crates at him. They, they have to be empty because they all just fall like they're made of styrofoam. <laughs> Well, you know, Klingon's one weakness is styrofoam crates. <laughs> okay, that's so funny because um, that actually is a plot in a couple seasons. That you, so oh, I didn't just know. The, the fact that you would say that. Okay, well, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Let's talk about the moment where Worf says to... Um, who does he say it to? He says you're personally responsible for the captain's safety. Oh, uh, uh, Riker tells that to Worf because oh, Worf Riker is beaming says it to Worf. Yeah, because, and to me Picard's that was like beaming down to the planet with all of right. the uh, the um because uh. The Rambo manages to get all of the other soldiers broken out of the Lunar 5 penal colony. Right. And then he's like, the captain's safety is your responsibility. And I thought that was such a Riker Worf way to have a conversation because that would mean everything to Worf. And Riker knew exactly how to tell Worf this is like top priority. Right. Well, like, of course, of course, Worf knows that the captain's safety is his top priority because he's chief of security and he's right. beaming down with the captain into a hostile situation. But it's more of an acknowledgement <laughs> of you're going down into the shit and you're the only thing between the captain and his death or whatever. And I thought that I thought it was a good moment for like a split second between Worf and Riker, because I was realizing as I was watching that, that we don't get a lot of moments between Worf and Riker. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a good one. So this uh, this is the first uh, role that James Cromwell has in Star Trek. And I want to say he's done two more. 
Uh, you've seen Star Trek First Contact, so you know he plays Ephraim Cochran in that one. That's right, he does. But he also plays an alien in, like, a season six episode. Um, but I think the one through line that all of his characters have is they're all kind of jerks. <laughs> it was before he did Babe and became a vegan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he still plays jerks after Babe, okay? That's like, true, he does. Most, yeah. <laughs> Babe is actually an exception in that he's just a kind, nice person in that movie. Most of his roles, he's a jerk. Yeah, that's true. He is kind of a jerk. He's such a good actor, though. I oh, find yeah. it interesting because I think of him as kind of like a big actor in my head, but and then he shows up here and I just assumed it was like before. I haven't looked at his IMDb. I actually don't know about James Cromwell's career. I just, in my mind, think of him as a big person. So to hear that he plays an alien in season six is interesting. Mm-hmm. So did Babe bring his career to where I think it is? <laughs> is that what it is? Uh, it might have. I know he was nominated for an Academy Award for that movie. For Babe? Uh, for Babe, I love yeah. Babe. I can, I can quote almost the whole movie. It's like, a dog that thinks. It's a pig that thinks. It's a dog. My <laughs> brothers and sisters and I would say that to each other in the high-pitched voice like 20, 20 times an hour when, when that movie first came out. <laughs> I love Farmer Hoggett. I think that's all I have to say about this episode. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, a bunch of it was just action. And uh, um, going into the next episode, too, uh, it seems like season three, they have amped up the action on the shows a lot more. Like the first two seasons, things are a lot more slow and cerebral. But here they're like, you know what, let's uh, let's have people punch each other. Uh, So, well, then why don't we go ahead and get into the next into the next episode? All right. The next one that we have is called The High Ground. It's the 12th episode of the third season. It's January 29th, 1990. It was written by Melinda M. Snodgrass and directed by Gabrielle Beaumont. I love Melinda Snodgrass episodes usually. She's a good writer. Yeah. Is she the one? She's the one that loves delegations, right? <laughs> I think she is. I think she's the one that loves uh, plots about delegations. Um, I'm pretty sure she's the one who wrote Measure of a Man. Yeah. She she did Measure of a Man, um, Up the Long Ladder. Oh well, that was uh, that oh was that was the, named after the her. Weird the, one. I see the a character scene on a coup de grams in the episode Up the Long Ladder was named after her, so it's called a Snodgrass. I misread what I was looking at, but yeah, and I usually love her episodes. Yeah, a coup de grams are named for Mike Okuda, who was like the uh, the art director on the show. He designs okay. the the uh, Elkar's uh, interface, like the little touchscreen interfaces. And yeah. whenever he hides little uh, in-jokes in them, they're called the kudograms. Oh, cute. That's cute. So yeah. the plot of this episode is that they are there and there's a lot of war going on, but our team is having a lunch in a nice diner while the war is going on and then dr crusher gets taken hostage yeah so it's kind of a um a space israel palestine situation i want to call it Mm. because yeah so uh it's a planet that has been besieged by a, a terrorist group um that uh and and even like the 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 cop of the city says that they started doing terrorism because like 70 years ago they wanted uh independence for their continent and they were denied it and like Mm -hmm. she just says it like that and i'm just like well that's a little like it seems like you've got a a, an easy solution here but (laughs) yeah i mean my notes say 70 years ago we we denied them freedom and my notes say oh just that that's all Just we that. did. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. But this episode is uh, about terrorism and it feels like 
it wants to say important things about terrorism, but kind of fails to. It does and, fail I mean, really bad. Terrorism is a complicated subject. And like it's it's hard to get all of the nuance in in an hour long episode. Now, thank God this episode came out before 9-11, because afterward, th- there'd just be no nuance whatsoever. No, <laughs> there's like some weird um, equivocation in the episode where like 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 at the end, uh, like Riker's like, oh, maybe that's how it stops. One boy just puts his d- gun down and refuses to kill. And I'm yeah. like, OK, but you're just accepting. He puts his gun down and then two armed guards go and Take grab him, him. away. You're just- so he put his gun down to go be taken to prison to go back yeah. to being a prisoner when he was trying to fight for his freedom. Yeah, you're, I know. You're <laughs> accepting as a given the violence of the state while condemning the retaliatory violence of the oppressed peoples. And mm-hmm. that's kind of like, you know, um, it, it's like a kind of a, a Hamas situation where, like, I don't support Hamas. Hamas is a, an awful organization that does bad things. But Hamas only exists because of Israel's oppression of Palestine and the way mm-hmm. that they've uh, set the uh, the Gaza Strip into like a, an open air prison. And, you know, like you understand why in these situations uh, people might turn to bad people who are going to fight off your oppressors. Right. Because they're the only ones that are going to fight off your oppressors. Mm-hmm. Um, so before, well, should we do the plot sure. before I um, jump into my point about George Washington? Yeah. Um, so the plot is Bev gets taken. They have this disease they need a doctor for. It turns out they've been using this teleporter to get them places. That's how they keep popping up and doing terrorism. And then they want to have Bev fix them, but it's coming from the teleporter. It can't be fixed. And she's like, stop using it. And they're like, well, we need to use it because it's how we do our terrorism. Right. Because like even their base is in a hole in the ground that you have to use the teleporter to get in and out of. Yeah. I'm sorry. The teleporter is not a teleporter. It folds spaces. In time it's like a dimensional shift yeah. or something like that and the elway theorem you know um everyone's just talking about oh well we have to keep using it because we got to do the terrorism and i'm just thinking i'm like okay well so one of the reasons that terrorism is an effective tool is because it doesn't require a lot of organization sometimes it's just a crime of opportunity mm-hmm. just planting a bomb in a random location some and and it's just terrorists just look like other citizens uh, until they've planted the bomb and then something blows up. If you have a dimensional shift device that lets you teleport things anywhere, why not just bomb the governments? Why not yeah. just like blow up the president's office? Why 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 not why are you doing these random things where you're first off accidentally killing 60 children? And also, why send anyone? Just teleport the bomb. Then yeah. you don't have to die from the horrible effects of the dimensional shift. It's like they just had no tactical know-how in here. Or and any, I was like, just like, nobody sitting around discussing what the right option to do. It was yeah. just long-haired dude that kind of felt like the first dude in the first episode. Just like, well, this is how it has to be. And his logic, which is not untrue, to be honest, is that one, you know, 
uh, dead martyrs were 10 posturing leaders. And he's not wrong, which is exactly why in the end, when he gets killed, the lady's like, well, now he's a martyr. Well, she said that she killed him because if she left him alive, it would have been a focus for violence at the prison as people tried to get him out. But that doesn't make sense either because they could just dimensionally shift him out. Yeah, there's all sorts of things they could have done. There was all sorts of that. It, sometimes in these episodes and in the writing, it gets very singularly tunnel visioned. Like yeah. this is the only thing that we can do. But and I would blame the writers, but it's a very human trait, you know, to be mm-hmm. like, oh, this is the only thing we can do, you know. Um, and so there was a lot of options. And, you know, at one point he's like, tra- he, you can tell he's getting a thing for Bev who wouldn't. Right. Like, but he's like kidnapped her and he's like drawn pictures of her and stuff. And he's obviously having compassion because at one point he decides the way to get the Federation involved, which is not a bad tactic, to be honest, is to blow up the Enterprise. Right. And, you know, you're not harming your own people or innocent, you know, civilians from your own planet that way. And I kind of under that was one of the best tactical thoughts that they had. But then George already saved the day you know and so it was i don't know but then he tries to look at bev and be like i'm not even from your planet don't know why i'd know the intricate details of united states history but what about george washington yeah (laughs) yeah everyone knows earth history when they need to uh, right. specifically American history, because that's what the audience knows. Um, interestingly, speaking of the audience, this mm-hmm. episode was not aired in the UK. Do you know why? No, why wasn't it? Because uh, Data was discussing times when terrorism has worked to enact political change. And one of the things that he says worked was the, the Irish, Irish unification re- of 2024. Yes, yeah. right. Ooh, I saw that and I was like, that's an interesting one because that's so near future and it was so violent in the 80s and 90s. You know, it was an actual thing going on. Yeah, the UK was like, uh, you guys are justifying the actions of the IRA. We're not airing this episode. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, I thought that was interesting, too. Um, And then that is in the discussion in one of the only sane discussions of the entire episode about whether or not terrorism is right or good or ever justifiable is Data's like, well, sometimes wouldn't we have to use violence to get what we want? Yeah. And and Picard says the stupidest lib shitty thing ever where he says, well, I've never subscribed to the idea that political power flows from the barrel of a gun. And I'm like, yeah, it does, dude. Politics yeah. is violence. The, yeah. the the existing power structures use violence to maintain those power structures. That's what we're seeing happen on the planet with the police state that's rounding up children to interrogate them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then using George Washington to justify, and I'm sure that... I'm about to say some things that'll piss regular people off, <laughs> but um, George Washington was a terrorist, my friends. He yeah. was. Yeah. Um, if you study American history at all, he was hanging people in the streets during the American Revolution for ter- for treason against America, a country he made up. That's literally <laughs> well, terrorism. It's a country that the, the, the Continental Congress made up. They hired him to be the general for it. Right. But yeah. and then he hung people for treason against a country that if you didn't immediately get on board with joining his new country, he just created. He hung you in the streets in front of your children. 
That's terrorism. And that's what our country is built on. Please stop venerating George Washington. Like, well, also, I just... he he was a, a big proponent of uh, asymmetric guerrilla uh, tactics, you know, like, the, mm-hmm. you know, the, he he was like, look, we're not going to all stand in a battlefield and shoot muskets at each other. Uh, we're we're going to sneak around and like take out high uh, high value targets with, you know, in in. in God, I'm trying to think of the Hamilton let's line. Let's steal their camo- their let's steal their <laughs> cannons is what I was thinking. But there's also get the bullets out your gun, get the bullets out your gun, because they're sneaking through the the dark with their gun with their guns out of their bullets in that yeah. line because or the bullets out of their guns because they don't want to accidentally have one off. go off because yeah, they're yeah. sneaking around the army. I mean, there is so much like that kind of stuff. And George Washington was a great general, and he did end up winning against the British, and now we have america of course but the french to, the french helped a huge amount in a, a lot that. yes yes um, <laughs> I, I don't think we would have won without the french's aid but i don't think um, we would have either um but it's interesting to me that to this day and age in 2022 a few days after um independence day when there's been a lot of discussions because of what just happened with roe v wade and everything about what is this country actually founded on that we would that i had to watch another episode that's like oh but we can justify it because george washington did it nobody actually knows what george washington did unless they're they study history mm-hmm. and they yes he well, was he a terrorist the cherry tree right right he cannot tell a lie his Teeth are wooden, not from slaves. These are all things that people have chosen to buy into so that they don't have to feel guilty about living in a country that was formed via terrorism. And I'm not saying that that doesn't mean that most countries weren't formed out of some form of terrorism or war, but it's weird that we try to pretend ours wasn't. Mm -hmm. There was a great moment where Finn, the, uh, the terrorist leader, tells Picard, He's like, you know, you federations pretend like you're neutral, but you're doing business with the government that's oppressing us. So you have tacitly picked a side by just accepting the uh, uh, on paper official government uh, as opposed to the terrorist group. Even if it's at an unconscious level, you are taking a side in the struggle. It's like that's why a Mm -hmm. lot of people want uh, to, uh, you know, boycott, divest, sanction Israel. Because uh, even though Israel is seen as the legitimate state in that area, their actions toward the Palestinian people, who a lot of them were there before uh, uh, a lot of Israelis moved in. Yeah, there is there, there's a whole situation there where you can't just be neutral unless you're just completely hands off and not interacting with anyone. I believe Martin Luther King said that if you take neutrality and sides of the, you're taking the side of the oppressor, I believe that's Martin Luther King Jr. I mean, cause you are, I think that was Desmond Tutu. Um, oh, I think you're right. Actually. Yeah. yeah. But MLK said the same kind of a thing, but I yeah, think the specific quote you're talking about is Desmond Tutu. Yeah. That makes sense. Same, same energy. <laughs> but ultimately, I think the episode just kind of um, they didn't have enough to say about it. And it just kind of I don't know. It was just like, I guess terrorism is a thing that exists sometimes uh, and just ended kind of ambiguously. But with that liberal, oh, well, maybe all it takes is one kid putting down his gun and then immediately getting arrested by the violence of the state. 
It's very we are the world. Like, oh, we <laughs> we solved racism. We solved world hunger. We all held hands and did a music video together. Um, let's not pretend or let's pretend we don't know what's going to happen once the episode ends and the blue writing comes up on the screen. You know, we sang a John Lennon song on, on, on TikTok. <laughs> God, poor, poor. I feel like that was such one of those things. Remember, <laughs> like, I try not to think about 2020 very much because it was a very <laughs> weird time. But sometimes I think back to some of the weirdest things that happened happened during 2020 and the fact that that happened is just so weird but the fact that everybody turned around and said this is bad stop doing it like there wasn't even anybody that was like guys they're just trying to make a difference it was like this is stupid and i was like that's so it makes it one of my favorite moments of 2020 because we all came together and said screw this like we're all dying and we're locked in our houses and can't go to work you know gal Gadot. i don't know who, i can't remember who else was in it it, it was basically every Every, like Marvel actor and a bunch of others. The yeah. boys recently had an episode in which they parodied that where they actually used some of the clips of some of the celebrities singing oh, that song. I'm sure and they had, had, had some of the permission. Uh, yeah, and then had some of the superheroes sing, singing it uh, as well. And it was just oh. like the boys this season has not been subtle in its parody. <laughs> That's so funny. I have not watched the show yet because I'm waiting for it to be done. You know how I am. I like to watch things all in order. And uh -huh. so I've just kind of been waiting for it to be done is this the last season i thought i heard it was the last season i have no idea i haven't but it has haven't. jensen ackles in it right the guy yeah. from supernatural yep he's in this season okay so i guess this i don't know if i've ever mentioned this on the podcast but i have watched supernatural all the way through like two times or something well i watched the first seven seasons of supernatural two times and then they, they just kept coming like i was done with the show and the, uh, the seasons just kept coming and for a while i tried to keep up with them but then i was like it just keeps going and it won't end. <laughs> so anyway, I've, I've been wanting to watch the boys because of Jensen Ackles. Yeah. You know, I've only watched like a couple episodes of Supernatural. The thing that I know Jensen Ackles from most is Smallville when he was in that one season where he was uh, Lana's boyfriend. Oh, I forgot about that. That's so funny. That was like one of his first big things. It was like, um, oh, God, what's her face? Uh, um, Dr. Quinn, medicine woman, was his mom. I can't remember the actress's Jane name. Jane Seymour. Jane Seymour. The lady Seymour who thing. does the jewelry now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Um, the, I don't know that you really need to see many episodes of Supernatural. Um, the first season tries to be like a serious horror show, like it thought it was going to be a horror show. Uh -huh. And then they realized that people responded to you know, jokes and parodies and stuff a lot more. And so it just became a funny show, basically like a spiritual successor to Buffy kind of thing where it was like super campy right. and stupid. And then they eventually had every single actor that wasn't, um, Buffy or Willow, I believe, ha eventually has an episode where they're the bad guy. You know, they're the monster of the week. There's one episode where Cordelia and Spike are both, th they're <laughs> like, they're both bad guys in a Supernatural episode. And they even made, um, what's her name? Oh, man, Tara. They made Tara a vampire, which I just thought was hilarious. <laughs> anyway, we're on Buffy again. How did that happen on the Star oh. Trek podcast? <laughs> oh, we did. We, we did a lot of bunny trails to get to here. So let's, uh, we did. let's bring it back to to the episode um there was something that i had wanted to bring up in the last episode because i got it confused with this one but uh, when we were talking about the action uh mm -hmm. th th that they're bringing up this season and the funniest thing is when the terrorist leader 
teleports onto the bridge of the Enterprise and Picard lunges at him and just decks him. And there's just this cut where you can very clearly tell that it's his stunt double doing it. Like his face is in profile and everything. But it's just a really quick shot of him just like flying halfway across the bridge to just punch the guy. That's so funny. So yeah. I think I remember. Yeah, I think I saw that. And I was like, yeah, but they're not. I mean, that's obviously because it's an action shot, right? Like, I yeah. don't know. There was a lot of weird action in this episode as well as the last episode. It's very like you said, it seems to be going a little bit more actiony, which is fine because it makes it move a little bit faster. But at the same time, I like the the like thought provoking stuff, you know? Mm hmm. Um, I do love the line, she's a Starfleet officer, she's my responsibility, because that's, you know, that's how it is. I just love Bev. You know I love Bev. So as much Bev. as this episode sucked, it was cool that it was a Bev episode. Um, and Wesley got to save the day, because Wesley's the one who figured out the dimensional shifting. No, so he, he was just part of the mom. team. No, he's the one who figured it out. <laughs> That was his line. I was just part of the team. And I, 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 if we hadn't done the uh, the babe joke for our intro, I would have I was going to say and I'm Ari and I was just part of the team because I think it was such a cute Wesley. Oh, no, it's fine, mom. I didn't save you. I was just part of the team, <laughs> which just is so cute. There's a dead red shirt. We don't see that very often. I, I assumed that they stopped that like trope or whatever because of the jokes about red shirts. Yeah, but there, uh was, there was a dead red shirt. There was a lot more just cavalier uh, use of crew deaths in the original series. And in TNG, I think they were like, well, we should probably treat deaths with a little more gravitas. But yeah, one of the terrorists shows up and shoots a guy in a red shirt. And I think in total, away. they said there was four dead people. And that's, I think that's the biggest death toll we've had, like, of Enterprise crew members in a while, I feel uh, like. The biggest one that I can remember is in Q Who, when the Borg... Uh, cut out a section of the saucer and 17 people died. I think that's oh. the biggest that's the biggest death event uh, so far on the show. But uh, yeah, four people's pretty big. So the one thing we haven't talked about is that super cute lady with the cute suspenders. I loved her suspenders. She's like they were trying to make her be like a uh, like girl for Riker to talk to, but she was like representing the other state or whatever. Right. She was she, the, the, the chief of police or whatever. The cop lady. Uh, yeah. She had the cutest suspenders. And I just, I, but I, I knew when they didn't sleep together, she wouldn't be the, like the monster of the week because that's, <laughs> that's my tell now. If Riker sleeps with them, they're probably the main bad guy. <laughs> but <laughs> um, I thought she was great. And I thought she was a very underutilized, like, un, like in, in the way that the parts that she was given weren't very well written. I thought uh -huh. she could have been, a much more compelling character and obviously i texted you during it because she really reminded me of amanda our she friend does. that we've had she on does before look like amanda, yeah. yeah i sent amanda the picture and i was like how is this not you <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i don't know i the 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 episodes were interesting and they're thought-provoking and they're making us have these conversations but at the same time they're still trying to figure it out you know what mm -hmm. i mean like it is still 1989 or 1990 at this point, I guess. And they're still trying to figure out how to be Star Trek in 1990. But man, thinking about I had I, I wrote down the Irish thing about 2024, just thinking that was interesting because that's only two years away from now. But the whole point that they wouldn't even air the episode in the UK makes so much sense. I mean, so many people were dying and there was so much violence going on that it does seem that. And I mean, 
Although 2024 was farther away from 1990, that's still not that far. Yeah. And you know, I remember when um, when Brexit first happened, a lot of people were like looking at like this might be the thing that causes Northern Ireland to rejoin the Republic of Ireland. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, I know there have been uh, issues with the because um, uh, I know well, with Brexit, there was like concerns about uh, the uh, agreement, the border agreement, because obviously when they were both in the EU, it's just, well, you could just free movement across borders. Right. But I, I don't know what the current situation is there. But I think it would be cool if I, Ireland reunified in 2024 just to prove Star Trek right. <laughs> that would be I mean, that would be interesting. And then we'd start like scoping. We'd be like pulling through all the dates like, OK, what's going to happen in 2026, 2029? <laughs> like, trying to figure out if we can find any other things that are going to happen in the future. Well, I do know uh, 2024 uh, is um, season two of Picard is set in 2024 and then there's a two-parter of deep space nine that's in 2024 so we've got Mm. at least two other things that are in the very near future interesting okay i like that kind of stuff like i like like for example i grew up watching the terminator movies i want i I, you know terminator 2 came out when i was like 13 so it was like that was like one of those big movies that i was really excited to see and the special effects were so cool and when i got older i went back and watched terminator and then you know i've always been a big fan ever since and so things that are set in the near future are something that I'm really interested in. I love turning on something and being like the year is 1994 and in the future, this and that and that, and it's 2022. And I'm like, yeah, tell me about future 1994. I want to hear about it. You know, like, I don't, I mean, as we all know, year 2000. Exactly. I mean, like 2001. Hey, I haven't brought it up in a while. (laughs) (laughs) But like 2001, I didn't see that movie until 2015 or 2016. So I was watching the past's view of what the future would look like in the future from that. And I think that's really cool and interesting when we write when we set things in the future. I find that really interesting. (laughs) There's um, there's a term for that kind of a thing. Uh, retrofuturism, mm. which can either be just looking at old stuff and their idea of what the future would be, or deliberately crafting something in that retrofuturist style, like um, Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow was a movie that was oh, deliberately yeah. doing that kind of a thing. And then uh, in Voyager, Tom Paris created his um, Captain Proton hollow novel, which is done in black and white and looks like a, a, a 1930s uh, sci-fi serial, like a like a Buck Rogers kind of a thing. Oh, and, that's cool. His version of Dixon Hill then. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I like that. I, I like like deliberately invoking uh, tropes of uh older eras when we didn't know what we know now about science and technology so it's like well obviously that wouldn't work but it's so quaint looking back to see what they thought it might be and And i think that's one of the reasons i like 2001 so much is he tried to make it so realistic like Uh the 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 spaceship is a pan am space shuttle and he's like and that's where you get the famous scene of the lady with the hair bonnet and the pen because that was a big deal that they made Mm -hmm. the pen float at that in 1968 and um because she's a steward us. And right. and I think that's so interesting because he tried he's like, what would the future look like if, you know, it was done in capitalism and it moved forward to the year 2001? I find that so interesting, just like I find this kind of stuff interesting. But I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens in 2024. <laughs> yep. 
So speaking of future things that I find funny, um, people in in the first episode, and I didn't really want to bring this up because it's not relevant to like the plot or anything. It's just me making fun of it. But but there's this thing that happens in Star Trek in this series that since we've been watching it, where they nobody knows how to say the word censors. Yeah, um, I've noticed the, in that. the beginning of the hunted, the first episode, like everybody says the word censor over and over again. And then data finally says censors as if he's like annoyed that they're not saying it correctly. And it really reminded me. And I just think this is an interesting parallel to in the first season of the Twilight Zone. There's an episode where a guy, I believe it's been a while since I've seen it. I think he's like he has a whole entire planet as his prison and they're bringing him a robot lady to be his companion. I don't Uh understand why the prisoner needs a robot lady, but whatever. But the entire time, every single person in the episode says robot, robot, not robot, robot, like R-O-W-B-U-T-T, robot. And Something about that, when I hear them say censors, all I can hear in my mind is robot. (laughs) And so, I don't know. I just think that's really funny. But I asked somebody one time, why do they say robot in that episode? And they said, because the word wasn't even, like, popular. Like, robots were so new to, like, the idea. Like, we had recently just created this concept that we could make a metal person that could attack people. That they had seen it in writing and they just made an executive decision that it was pronounced robot you know and that's and i was thinking about that in these episodes just because well the sensors thing but then when we were talking about things in the future like that's not even that long ago and we didn't even have the word robot and now it's such a prevalent thing in our fiction you know i just think that's so cool and it's just something interesting about like the history of writing sci-fi and then coming up into like i'm sure there's things in star trek that have influenced the way we name actual things in science right um I'm trying there's to think. Be, right? There's got to be. I'm trying to think. I mean, there's a lot of technology that Star Trek introduced that has become real, like the cell phones, like the, the clamshell right. cell phones were the communicators from the original series. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, the pads in the next generation are just we've got I- iPads now. Um, right. Yeah. And, 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 you and know, touchscreen and technology and all, all that stuff. Yeah, there's a lot screen. of that was something I brought up at the very first. Remember, like first season, I said, I think it's really interesting that there's like they're they're obviously like trying to set it up that touchscreen is the way I think you said the way forward, which is yeah. it is it was. We just mm-hmm. didn't know it in 1989 as normal people, you know. But I don't know. I love this stuff. I think it's so interesting. I can't believe I've become such a Star Trek fan that we can have these in-depth discussions and that I bought 3D chess and all that kind of (laughs) stuff. But it's been a great addition to my life and I'm very excited to watch the rest of it. Like, and I'm sitting around sometimes when people are talking about things like Picard and I'm like, someday (laughs) I'll get there. I'll get to watch you someday. But I'm really excited about Picard because, you know, I watched season one, but I wasn't really paying attention because I didn't know any of the characters or anything. And so now I'm really excited to see what they do with them. Uh That's my excitement about Picard for today. (laughs) And I think that's all for today. Thanks for joining us. I'm Ari. And I'm Gayfesh. And until next time, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe and consider writing a review in your podcast service. We're on Twitter at Rest Both Worlds. Join our Patreon at patreon.com slash restofbothworlds for bonus content and hear your name at the end of each episode.